Welcome to Conversations with the Black Girl Blogger podcast, where you will hear amazing human interest stories from everyday people. They will inspire you, they will encourage you, and they will help you to overcome all of what you are going through in your life. I am your host, Aisha Morgan, and let's meet today's guest. All right, so we are here with our guest today. This is Regis. If you all remember, we talked to her sister, Rashimia, about being a surrogate. So today we are going to get the other side of the story from Regis and find out about not being a surrogate, but being the person who uh, hires a surrogate. So Regis, why don't you tell us why you needed to get um, a surrogate for your last two children? So when I had uh, my first daughter, she's nine now, um, I went into preterm labor at 29 weeks, and it was really out the blue. Like, the doctors didn't see it coming. I didn't have any complications leading up to it. I just went into labor one day, and I had to deliver her. Um, So after that, uh, we got pregnant again, um, like four years later, um, and I had high blood pressure that pregnancy. And then I went into labor the same way like I did with my first daughter at 22 weeks. So, um, again, the doctors didn't know why it was happening. It just basically seemed like um, I was, my placenta was acting like I was full term and it was like ready to give birth to a full term baby is what they were saying. But they didn't know um, much about why it kept happening to me. So... After that, the high-risk doctors were like kind of, we can guarantee we can help you get you pregnant and carry the term. We're just going to monitor you more closely. They said they were talking to some of their colleagues because they weren't really sure what was happening to me. But nobody had really heard of a person going into full-term labor, but their water not breaking. So um, I got pregnant again like a year and a half later, 2018. Yeah, 18. And... um, when I was about 16 weeks, um, my ambiotic fluid was weakened. So they had me on bed rest, but it pretty much was, there's nothing we can do. You're going to go into labor and you're going to lose the baby. So I ended up having my son at 18 weeks that time. Um, so that was in February of 2018. And then after that, it kind of was like, from the research we were doing, the research my doctors were doing, we had talked to the doctors at University of Penn, they weren't really sure of what to do to prevent me from going in labor. So they didn't think that I would ever be able to successfully carry to term. Oh, wow. So, so then we started looking at the uh, surrogacy. Yeah. And I mean, emotionally, I'm sure that was like, terrible to have to keep going through that every time oh gosh that's not even a word i um try not to think about it too much because when you're past a certain um amount of weeks it's not considered um just like a a, like they it's not considered really a miscarriage Mm -hmm. and both times the babies were alive and kicking as I'm sitting there, you know, trying to push them out. So when I had the, uh, my daughter, Nora, at 22 weeks, um, at that point, she was past the term where they would just, you know, take them and they usually cremate the babies and they have like gardens around the hospital. So from there, you know, we held her till she died. And then 
She had to go to the morgue. We had to get a death certificate, social security number. We had to call a funeral home. Um, we had to name her. So none of these things we were prepared for. Wow. Just because you didn't know, you know, usually you would think the hospital would take care of it. But when you're past a certain term, you don't. You have to do it yourself. Um, so with my son at 18 weeks, he was, they did um, cremate him. And I didn't have to go through everything the same way. So we didn't have to do it. So it was, it was still hard, but it, it wasn't as hard of, you know, like going to the funeral home and calling around and everything like that was like the worst thing to do when you know the mortgage saying that they can't even have anybody pick her up until you pick out a name but we weren't prepared to have a baby that day so we didn't have a name yet so right. it was just a lot it it has been a lot and it when i think about it it's a lot so i tried like when anniversaries come up i try to just you know say a prayer and move on but it's it's hard it is hard and people yeah. don't understand it until you go through it right and i i couldn't even imagine i mean like you're saying, when people have miscarriages, um, like for me, it was early on. So I can't imagine actually feeling the baby and then not being able to take it home after I deliver. Right. So, right. so from right. there, um, did Shima approach you about it or were you and your husband looking into the surrogacy? Like, how did that come about? So when I was about 19 or 20, I had um, pre-cancer on my cervix, and I had two surgeries. So my cervix was already short, and the doctors already said then that I probably would have a harder time carrying. So we kind of had it in our head as a family, like, okay, maybe in the future I might have some issues. Um, I know my mom had always said she wasn't going to get a hysterectomy until she knew somebody else in the family could carry just in case that was an option when I was um, younger. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I lost Nora, my sister, we kind of talked about it. And it's crazy because all the risks that the doctors told us years ago of my cervix being a problem, that never was a problem. Like I ne my cervix never opened. Like I never had that issue. It was something completely out the blue that they had even never heard of. So when um, I, we said we would try again, when I tried again in 2018 and I lost my son, um, my sister and my husband and I kind of just was like, okay, we're going to do this now. You know, my sister was getting older and she was like, if you're going to do it, let's just do it. And we didn't really want to keep trying again, even though, you know, the doctors wanted us to. And there was a couple doctors who were pushing for me to do like to get pregnant just so that they could study me so they could learn more about the condition. But we didn't really want to go that route at that point. It was just like, let's just try to move on and see what our options were. And then um, when we approached my sister, it was just like, okay, we've been talking about this for years. We kind of knew there was going to be some problems and let's just do it now. So I lost him in February 18th. And then by March 24th, I think I made like my first fertility treatment pro uh, appointment. Mm -hmm. But my doctors um, had already been talking to the fertility doctor about me. So he kind of knew that I was going to go there because they were kind of leaning to me too, saying that that probably would be my best option if I'm going, if I really wanted to have a kid. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't have to shop around for a fertility doctor because of all the issues you had. It was kind of like you had somebody in place. Right. I, 
I mean, I did do research, but when I, like, I've been with my doctor for so many years and I trust her a lot. And she kind of was already pointing me to this, to this guy because she's worked with him, um, with other couples Mm -hmm. and she did trust him and she had already forwarded my paperwork to him before I even like put it out there and called her office and made an appointment. So he kind of already knew what the problems were and, um, had already been looking into the case too. Um, with me going into labor early all the time. Okay. So on your end, you make your first appointment. Um, you tell them, I guess, that you already have someone uh, who's willing to be the surrogate. And then what happens next? Um, so after we went over, you know, basically it's just like, okay, these are the, he just laid out the steps, you know, um, you're going to have to get your eggs, your husband's sperm, and then we're going to have to basically get your sister's body to pretend that it's pregnant naturally. And then, you know, we go through each of those things. So after it was agreed upon, we um, got the bill and everything. We kind of just proceeded first with the contract, which was just stating that, you know, that she was willing to... um, be a gestational carrier for us, mm-hmm. um, had no claims to the baby. And then that's where we laid out kind of like if there was monetary exchange, just anything. But because it's my sister and we live like two houses away, we didn't do any of that. We kind of, it just was really straightforward that we're entering this agreement and that this is my child and, and my husband's child. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was just the carrier. And then um, after we did that, it, it really, I feel like it was a really fast-paced process for me, which I'm blessed to have because I know a lot of people don't. But um, really, like, within weeks of our first meeting, we did the contract. Maybe the next two weeks, we did the um, meeting with the counselor, just like the psychological counseling which was really just like a one-time quick thing because everybody was in agreement. There was nothing really to discuss. Um, and then by June, we basically started the process of um, me producing eggs. Okay. So when you went to counseling, um, you and your husband went separate from Shima or y'all had to go together? No, we went separate. Shima went first and then me and him went together. And um, we just basically, they just asked you, you know, how do you feel about somebody carrying your child? Do you feel like you would be able to build a connection? Um, Things like that. Just kind of seeing where your mindset was Mm -hmm. with the whole thing. Like, do you, would you, if the baby had something wrong with it, would you turn it away? Um, Are you willing to take on everything, you know, that comes with any child that possibly could have any medical uh, issues or anything like that. They just really are just kind of filling you out. But like I said, we were beyond ready and it had been years of this. So it was a really short, we have to do this process. So we're here, but we were all really sure about it. Yeah. So then for you to produce your eggs, what did you have to do um, to get your body ready? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Shot, shot, shot. <laughs> <laughs> and not the ones in the cup. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I took so many shots. It was to the point where my daughter, who was, what, six at the time, seven at the time, 
I couldn't pierce my own stomach. And she was just coming in like, Mom, it's time for your shot. And she was just giving it to me because I couldn't do it. Wow. So I, I really took just shot. I can't even think of the names on that. I know they were so expensive, though. One shot was like $900, and I had to have it three times. What? It's so Particularly drugs, especially in the U.S., are so expensive. And in short, my insurance didn't cover the, any of it. So we paid out of pocket for everything. And, like, those drugs are expensive. Wow. Um, so I did shots for maybe two weeks. I think I did them two or three times a day. Um, just different kinds. And then um, I had to keep getting ultrasounds to make sure, you know, things were growing. But it was crazy because, you know, most people produce one or two eggs or whatever. And I produce, because of the shots, it makes you make more. So I had like 27 or something there. It makes you feel so bloated. And there's nothing you can do about it because you have like all <laughs> eggs in it. It was like such a weird feeling. Yeah, I can't even see. Those are the things you don't think about. Like the eggs are going to come out, so they have to go right. somewhere. Right. And then and the way I felt walking around, it was just like, or it, I don't know. I felt like I had to hold my stomach because I'm like <laughs> full out, even though I know it wouldn't. Yeah. But that's how bloated I felt all the time. Just from, you could feel like they were making so many of them. Like, so many of them were in there. Yeah. Um, so then I had to get a surgery. It was outpatient, but I had to get um, put to sleep. And they removed them. And they were able to get uh, 27 eggs out. Okay. Um, so from there, um, my husband had, like, 24 hours, I think, to fertilize. So then he had to do the whole sperm thing. And um, they did everything in the Petri dish. And then they freeze them for, like, three days to see if they're going to mature or not. So at, from that, I think nine matured of the 27. Okay. Um, and then they refreeze them. So basically why they're mature, they're growing. So they're really three days old or whatever until they refreeze them again. Um, and then from there, it was time for my sisters to get her body basically to fake like she's pregnant. Okay. And that's when she started. I was done completely, and then she started all her shots. Okay. So she gets her shots, and then she's ready to, like, how long does it take for her to get ready to have them um, inserted? I feel like it was about two or three weeks. I know the first time in June... Um, we were ready and her lining wasn't thick enough. So they wanted to wait till like her next menstrual cycle. And then um, in July, she she started over. So we had to do the whole medicine again, buy everything again, start over with her. And then um, she started her shot. So yeah, about two to three weeks, uh, she was pregnant. So basically it would be time. So by the time her next period came, she should have missed it. Or, no, they were making it seem like you... So, it's basically like faking your body to think you're pregnant. Even though you're not, it's just the hormones. Got it, okay. You know, making you think, okay, I am pregnant. Yeah. And then once um, those weeks were done and they were fine with her... They kept testing her lining. Once it was thick enough, they um, we had to go in so that they could insert um, the embryos. So at that time, they were always telling us, we're going to put in two, we're going to put in two. From day one, it's always, we're going to put in two, just to hope that they take. So then that's the story. When we got there, 
they only um, unthawed one of them because it was like they did all the testing and genetic testing and um, this one was perfect. And if we put in one, more than one, there could be a danger. There could be risk that they split and you could have twins or triplets or, you know, even more. So um, because it was all in the three of our minds that we were doing two eggs, we had to get them to unthaw the second egg. But mind you, before the procedure, they it was like they unthaw it like two or three days before you go in to insert them into my sister. So when we were there, they hurried up and unthawed the last one. So within like an hour or so. So we always say like the twins are not the same age because one of them is really like three days older than the other one. Oh, yeah, because she thawed out first. Right. So she was still growing and the other one wasn't. Got it. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So then they, um, you sit there and it's like an ultrasound and a, a little skinny, tiny little needle thing and they you watch it and you watch her get pregnant on the screen that's crazy <laughs> yep and then um you wait the, you know the days and the weeks for the pregnancy test to come back negative or positive so luckily ours was positive i don't know how people do this multiple times like i said we were really blessed and I know it and people tell us like to have to only have to pay for this, you know, the one time since it was so expensive and to get everything, you know, we want it right away. And it just ha like I said, it happens so fast. Yeah, From definitely. Losing a baby and her being pregnant by, you know, the end of July, being August, it was fast. Yeah, because I know people who've done fertility and they've done like multiple rounds. Um, mm hmm. And yeah, so that definitely was a blessing. Right. Yep. So now she's pregnant and I mean, how do you, how are you feeling? Like you're watching your sister, you know, grow your children. Um, and there's really nothing like you don't really have an involvement, right? Right. <laughs> So I always had hard pregnancies, even when I was pregnant. Like, I grew up to the day I gave birth for every single child. So for her, she's always had easy ones. So it was like, okay, she's not throwing up. Like, you you wouldn't even know she was pregnant unless you knew she was pregnant. Right. You know, she's skinny. So, I mean, those times, there would be days where, like, for me, I felt like I was drowning in pregnancy. Like, counting down the hours until this was over. But for her... I felt like for me it was a little relief because it wasn't constantly on my mind every single second of every single day of, you know, being sick and miserable mm -hmm. because it was just like she was fine. But we were ecstatic. Like, I still can't believe that um, we went through this. Yeah. And, you know, even when I look at the twins now, I can't believe that this happened and, like, here we are. So it, it still feels like a dream. Yeah, but that's cool, though. So did you, like, how involved were you, though, with her pregnancy? Like, did you go to doctor's appointments? Did you um, do anything that, I don't know. I mean, what did you do, I guess I should ask? So, uh, like I said, we live, like, three, four houses down from each other. So I basically, like, I bought her work clothes, her uh, maternity clothes. She was able to wear her regular clothes till probably about a month or two towards the end of it. Mm -hmm. um, late night cravings. 
ice cream. She always wanted ice cream. So, like, we kind of just ran out. Anytime we were out, we were always together anyway. So, anytime, like, we would go out, I would pay or... I don't know. I always felt like I should, like, yeah, she probably, she would eat normally, but she's also eating for, you know, three now. So let me just pay. So, like, I, I feel like I was very involved. I We were always together, like I said, before the pregnancy. So I didn't see really much difference besides for just, like, the clothing that she needed for work and just, like, home and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I did do doctor's appointments. Um, I did the high-risk appointments just because she was having twins. Um, I mean, I was involved. So, um, now, she said that she was having some complications towards the end and had to go into the hospital. So, were you with her when all that was happening? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And she was losing her damn mind. I can only imagine. (laughs) And she was working so many, and like all the time. And I'm like, you're pregnant with twins. Like, you have to calm down a little bit. She's like, nope, I can do it. I can do it. And so, because she always worked with all her other kids till like the day she gave birth. So, um, yeah. So originally, like the beginning of February, it's the first time we've seen something on one of the twins. It looked like she wasn't growing. Um, I forgot what the syndrome is called, but it's when one of the twins, um, takes more of the nutrients than the other twin. Okay. So one of them isn't growing. And then they thought that um, one of the twins was going to have a heart condition. So we had to go to a um, specialist. He came down from University of, uh, from CHOP, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And um, he looked, he didn't see any issues with it, but he said like at delivery, he would be there just in case. But they were concerned about the growth of one of the twins. So that was the beginning of February. So then towards the end of February, um, her feet and everything was swollen up. So it kind of looked like she might have high blood pressure or something. Mm-hmm. So when she went to the doctor, it, it was she had preeclampsia. They wanted to monitor her at first, and then they said they were keeping her. And that's when all hell broke loose. So <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't stay. We, my mom and everybody, we had made up a plan of, like, taking care of her kids, taking them back and forth to school. You know, we're right here. We got you. But she just, she can't sit still. So she um, she went in the hospital. I feel like it was, like, Thursday or Friday. So we were up there, really, all day, every day. A couple of my friends, we would just, like, pick Pinky out in her room. Um, and then, like, the one night... Uh, maybe Sunday night, that Sunday night, she, so the hospital we went to was Virtual and Voorhees, which has a really good NICU, and we went home, and it's an hour away from our house, we went home, as soon as I opened the front door, they were calling us, saying, she must have the babies right now, you need to come back. Oh, man. And I'm like, we are an hour away, we just got home, so... We just turned around. We didn't even tell the kids at home. And we got in a car and we drove right back. And they were prepping her for surgery. And they said she had to have emergency C-section because, you know, preeclampsia, you can have organ failure and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, she's never had a C-section. So she was kind of flipping out. Yeah. (laughs) So, kind of is lightly. I know you're being nice about that description. (laughs) 
So we were calling everybody, like my mom, like I'm swearing everybody just had left and was getting home. And I mean, it was like 11, 12 o'clock at night. And we came back and then my mom came back. And, um, and then that's when really, I feel like the hard stuff started there because she was 29 weeks, which I had my daughter at 29 weeks. I knew it was fine. She was kind of nervous just because like she never had a preemie and she, you know, wanted this to be a good experience for me this time since I had so much loss and so much struggle before. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, like we met with the NICU team. Um, they were just telling us, you know, they're prepared to take the babies as soon as we leave. I could stay in the room with where she has a C-section and my husband can go upstairs with the babies once they get them out. Um, I had to show our surrogacy contract to the doctors um, just so that they could verify. I could be there. Um, and then they really, like an hour later, they took us down and um, she had the C-section and Sienna was three pounds and Telsley was one pound, 13 ounces, I believe. But they were breathing on their own. So they were, even though they were small, they were really healthy. Yeah. So that was like another blessing. Like there was no issues with them medically. They just had to grow. So that was like just eating and feeding and everything. Like they didn't have to be on oxygen. Like we didn't have too many issues. Like they did precautionary oxygen just not to not wear them out, but they didn't have to be you know, fully on oxygen. Okay. Um, but I think the worst part about it is from there is when in New Jersey, ser- gestational surrogacy is fairly new. Like I know in New York, just this last year is when it's become legal to have a gestational surrogate. I think it was February, 2021, maybe because other than that, it's not legal. A lot of States don't honor gestational surrogates. So, with us, the social worker at the hospital, um, she couldn't wrap her head around it because basically in New Jersey, the law is if the baby comes out, whoever the um, baby comes out of the birth canal, that's who the mom is. So we had to argue with them and their lawyers and my lawyer because basically Shima was the mom and my husband could go in there as the dad, the birth certificate, but I couldn't have anything to do with babies. Oh, so, Wow. Yeah, they wouldn't honor the, the contract we had. They didn't know what to do. So, I mean, it was days and days and days of arguing with the hospital about this because they didn't know what to do. And all they kept saying is, we're going to have to call our lawyers. We're going to have to call our lawyers. But at the same time, my kids are in the NICU, and you're telling me I can't see them. So everything I had to do, I had to get Shima's authority, or either Shima had to go with me to see the babies, or Tom could go. So he was free to do anything, but, but you couldn't. I wasn't. Wow. But I wasn't. Now, did you know about any of this beforehand? Like, did your doctor say this could possibly be an issue, or was this like brand new when you were at the hospital? This was brand new for me because when we were told all we had to do was do a contract, um, from what the lawyers at the hospital were researching as we were standing there, they're researching it. They're saying we had to do um, a different kind of contract where Shima officially gave over her rights, even though it's my egg and my husband's sperm, she had officially give over her rights or something to me. So mm, okay. even to this day, I have to, so what they told me is I have to formally adopt the girls for my name to even be on the birth certificate. Like get a, like basically do adoption. Like I don't, like they're not mine. Like 
home inspections and, you know, the constant court battles and back, everything like that, just for them, for my name to be on the birth certificate. No way. Yep. And the lawyer is like, yep. Yeah. I think the cheapest lawyer I found who said they can do it is $3,000. Oh but after God. I paid about twenty five to do all of this, like, yeah, that's not a lot to pay. But at the same time, it's ridiculous. It's my egg. And see, those are the things you don't think about because when you adopt somebody's kid, you have a contract and then that person sometimes doesn't even see the baby when it's born and it goes right to the adopted parents. Right. But nope, there's all this stuff and a lot of the hospitals don't know. I know even when we got done, they called me just like, you know, you were one of our, uh, the first or second ones that we've done at this hospital. And we really just want some feedback. And I was like, the way you treated me was terrible. You know, like these were my kids. Every, my sister's even telling you this. Right. And you let my husband go on there without even seeing his ID, but you won't, won't let me have nothing to do with it. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So how like, long, yeah. how long did that process take though? Like, where you could go without either one of them, or was that you couldn't? I couldn't. Um, even when it was time, so they, the hospital knew what was going on, like the NICU nurses, and they were really nice. They're amazing at Virtuous NICU. They knew what was going on, but I never went up there by myself. Even when it was time, so Sienna stayed in the hospital for probably about four weeks, mm-hmm. um, and Toby stayed until about five or six because she wasn't eating right, but... Um, when it was time for them to be discharged, I couldn't pick them up alone. I had to go with either my sister or my husband, but they weren't going to release the baby just to me. So we had to arrange for um, one of them to go with me. So Shima was able to go both times because Tom was always working, but um, otherwise they would still be there. Honestly. That is terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then even, like, the one day when they were cutting off my braces, the, like, head of the social work department came to me and said, technically, you're not even supposed to be in here anyway. Um, Your sister needs to come with you at any point that you want to hold the babies. You can stand here with her, but you can't be in here by yourself. I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, it's time for her to go home, and you're saying this to me now? Yeah. So and we had a contract, but they just they didn't understand it, so they went on her. So right now, her name is still on the birth certificate. Yep, and I really have to do this adoption. But then it was just like, you know, we're close, and then COVID happened. But I'm, it's not something I'm putting in the back of my mind. I just feel like it's like a joke, you know? Yeah. That I doesn't have to do this. That's so ridiculous. Yep. I had no idea that all that stuff happened. Yeah, um, it, it was really bad. And like I said, I, I follow it now a lot because that's when I found out, too, like that in New York, you know, gestational surrogacy isn't even, it's illegal. So that's why a lot of people in New York go to other states like Los Angeles and stuff in New York and New Jersey because it is legal here, but they don't know a lot about it. But in New York, it, it just became legal 2021. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yep. And these are like those little small things that like people who are going about their day don't even realize uh, when you make those types of decisions. Right. Because who would have thought? Yeah. And unless it doesn't affect you, people don't care, you know? Yeah. 
Oh, Lord. I know. So. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. Wow. I'm th- like I said, I'm thankful it happened. We're blessed that it happened the first time. And now, you know, like, they're two and a half. I had, like, seven embryos left. I had froze them for, like, a year and a half. But um, I think this year we're going to let them go because there's no more kids. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This <laughs> is too much. Yeah. So... Once you have them home and, um, you know, they're up and healthy, how do you feel as, like, a mom? Like, did you feel like it took you longer to connect with them because you did not give birth to them? Or was it just, like, automatic? Like, these are your kids. There wasn't any kind of... um, like Shima, she said she was just disconnected from the beginning. Like she knew they weren't hers. So for you, was it more of like, I know these are mine and you had an instant connection or do you feel like it took you a little bit longer this time than the first time? So I think in the NICU, um, it took me a while to wrap my head. Like these are my babies. These are mine, you know? And like my sister did this and it's all done and they're here and they're mine. I think... So we went to the NICU pretty much every day mm-hmm. to hold them just so really to get that skin-to-skin contact. So by the time they came home, I did feel connected. Um, I never felt a disconnect to them, even when she was carrying them. I always knew, like, these are my babies, you know, they're going to look like us and um, all that. But I-, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel disconnected at all. And I do think the NICU definitely helped, too. Yeah. Well, that's everything. That's good because sometimes like people do talk about how it takes a little bit longer um, to feel that connection, not because they don't want them. But I mean, it is different when you physically give birth and then you don't um, regardless of the circumstances. Like sometimes people even say that with C-sections that it takes them a little bit longer um, because they didn't push the baby out, but you know, every, oh, wow. everybody's yeah. different. Yeah. I've heard like yeah. a couple of my coworkers have said like when they had a natural birth, um, mm-hmm. it just felt different than when they had a C-section. Um, yeah. not that they didn't, you know, love their kid. It just took them a little bit longer to like get that connection, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah. See, for me, I never did. I've never experienced that though. So I like the two natural births I had. It was just holding the baby until they passed. You know, I've never had an experience of besides. So I was a C-section. Um, I didn't feel disconnected, but again, she was in the NICU, so I had to go in there and do skin to skin. You know, hold her, learn her, learn how to take care of a you know a preemie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was only three pounds four ounces, so. From there, like when you're in it, when you see a baby in the NICU with all those tubes and they're warning you about, you know, all the health issues they could have and everything, you kind of connect with them right then. I've never had a chance to have a healthy pregnancy, a healthy birth and just hold a baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't know what it would feel like otherwise to compare it to a surrogacy or, you know, the C- I, I don't have that experience at all. Because even when Nora, I was connected to her. Um, a lot and I think because I was so far along and we were planning so much and then 
just to hold her and my mom sung to her until she passed away and then to do all that and it's like I only seen her for about five, ten minutes, you know, and I still feel the connection. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't know. I just think I'm on the other side of the spectrum where I've never experienced like a healthy pregnancy, a healthy birth, a healthy baby like that, you know? Yeah. Well, so I mean, I, I have, and listen, I don't, I think that people lie. Like, I think that people feel like, um, you're supposed to feel a certain way when you give birth, but especially if you are drugged like you have no idea what's going on and so like i'm serious like i had all kind of stuff not planned to have but i did and so when they gave me kingsley honestly i cried because we did it like we did make it that's why i cried not because like oh my god I feel all this stuff. No, I'm like, both of us are here. I'm looking at you. You're looking at me and we made it. Yeah. Like we made it. That's why I cry because you hear about the fertility, um, the, uh, mortality rate of black women and, you know, babies and complications. And so when I seen her, that's why I cried. And then the next day, like, you know, when everything was pretty much out of my system or the day after, it was like, I'm a whole mom. Like, damn, this is my baby. Like, <laughs> And it took me like a while. Like, I just would look at her and be like, this is my kid. Like, I just had this baby. And, you know, with the troubles that I had with breastfeeding and all that, it was just like, people lie. Like, babies don't know how to breastfeed. You don't know how to breastfeed. It's not a natural thing. Like, Right, right. People need like to stop. Yes, they need to stop lying because it's not the truth. Else. It doesn't happen. Exactly. They need to stop lying because it is not the truth. Like, no one knows what they're doing. Right. So, yeah. And, like, if there was, you wouldn't need a lactation consultant. Because right. it would just happen. <laughs> like, why are you coming in here? I thought this was supposed to be easy. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Because that was another thing. I had read that if you constantly pump, like a couple, like some um, people that do a surrogate, they pump uh, constantly months beforehand and you can make milk and that'll help you attach to the baby just in case like you're worried about that. Mm -hmm. So we had talked about it, but when I had Soraya and she was in the NICU, I was struggling to make milk and I was pumping constantly. I was on pills. I was drinking tea. I was doing everything. I couldn't make enough milk for her. So this time, and I used to cry so bad. And my husband was like, we're not even going down that route. Yeah. He's like, there's no way. But luckily, since uh, I've had Sarai, they do donor's milk. Yes. So when Shima gave a couple of days of milk or a week or so, um, I was able to use donor's milk for them. So I didn't even, I wanted to, I did want to do that a lot, but it didn't happen. Yeah. And it's, it, for me, it was so stressful. Like, I had to get donor's milk um, because we just weren't figuring it out. Like, I'm like, she doesn't know what to do, and I don't know what to do to help her. I've watched <laughs> mad videos. This, you know, my midwife is sitting there, like, pretty much fondling my boob. Like, here, hold it this way. Turn it this way. Do it. I'm like, ma'am. It is not working. Not working. Yeah, so. It's hard to make milk sometimes. And some people have, like, 
freezer's full. I'm like, how in the world did yeah, that happen? Yeah, exactly. It's so frustrating. But yeah. we both have healthy kids here. Um, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I've seen them. They are just the cutest little girls ever. I can't believe Sarai is just turning, what, 10? Nine. Nine. Cannot believe that because I remember when she was born. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I. that's why I said, like, I can't even imagine all of what you went through before you decided to, you know, do the surrogacy route because that experience alone, you know, being there with you side by side, it was tough. I can't believe I went through all that. Yeah. With the, you know, the two losses. Like, I just, I can't believe it. Yeah. And, I mean, people, I think it's hard for, um, I, I think this is a perfect example of why you don't ask people when they're going to have kids or when they're going to have more kids. Exactly. Because, exactly. you know, that's like such an outdated conversation to have. And, you know, with my sister, um, it wasn't easy for her to get pregnant. And when she, as soon as she had my nephew, they're like, okay, he needs a sibling. And she's looking like, no, he's good. Right. Right, right, right. And yeah, people don't understand that. Just because you could pop out 10 kids doesn't mean everybody else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, we haven't tried. Like, it's, we've tried everything. It's, it's not happening. Yeah. And that's how I feel. Like, I feel as though God blessed me with my daughter and was like, we're going to get through this, but this is probably the finale for you. This is the beginning and the end all at once. Um, just because of my delivery was not easy. So, and I'm okay with that. And if I get blessed with another baby and I'm 50, (laughs) then it is what it is. But, um, it's not on my things to do list anytime soon. Right. Right. Yeah. I feel like I was on the baby track for so many years just trying to do it. And now that it's done, I, I don't know. I feel like relieved a little bit because it was like, since the rise was 2012, I feel like I've been on the baby track until they were born 2019. Like, it was, like, every year just trying, trying, trying. So now I do feel relief. Like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Like, I can move forward now. Yeah. And you got two at once, which is a blessing, too, because maybe you might have been like, maybe I'll do this again if it was just right. one. Right, uh, right. Like, I was, Yeah. I do think about that too, but I think every person should have twins first before they <laughs> have any more kids. That's a lot of work. Yeah, I could only imagine. Because they're, even though they're like, to me, pretty chill, I couldn't imagine them like being terrible twos and like going through all of these things together. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't imagine two Kingsleys in here talking my ear off. Right. And they're talking now, too, and running. It's it's, it's a nightmare here. They run the show. (laughs) Boss babies times two. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, Bree, I appreciate you taking the time out to, um, you know, give us the other side of hiring a surrogate. Um definitely learned a lot more than I thought I knew about your situation. So, um, 
I appreciate the transparency and I hope that, um, you know, other people who listen to this learn something from it too, especially the legalities of, you know, having a surrogate in certain states. So that's something that I'm sure a lot of people don't think about. Right. Right. And a lot of states, yeah, you have to look because a lot of states is not legal to do a gestational carrier still. Yeah, which is crazy to me. Exactly. But, you know, women are always at the bottom of the totem pole for anything. And we have no real rights, even though we have rights. So, yep. Yeah, I always say if my issue was a man's problem, they would it wouldn't be so rare. They would have figured it out already. Oh, girl, please! I say the same thing about fibroids. <laughs> Let them have some lumps on their nuts, and it would have been resolved years ago. Right. <laughs> right so now, weird. it's like so prevalent, and no one talks about it. Like exactly, it's insane. So, yeah, I say it all the time. Like, it would be extinct right now. People would be like, what's a fibroid? Right. I'd be like, oh, that was only around for about two years on these guys' nuts, and now it's gone. And now it's gone. Exactly. (sighs) Oh, my gosh, it's terrible. It is terrible. But we live and we learn and we try to push forward. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Isha. You're welcome. And again, I appreciate you being so transparent about your story and your experience. Oh, no problem. All right. Have a good one. Bye. And that's a wrap on another amazing episode. I know that you were just as inspired as I was after listening to that conversation. And to let us know how we're doing, don't forget to leave us a review, like, share and follow the podcast also make sure you follow us on all social media platforms at the black girl blogger and check out our website www.theblackgirlblogger.com and the most important step make sure you share the podcast with someone you know and tell them to share with someone they know and if you know someone who has an amazing story to tell or if you yourself would love to tell your story, leave us a message on our website or any of our social media platforms so we can reach out to you and have you on the podcast. Until next time, peace out.